want you to take your Bibles today and turn to Mark chapter 5. And I'm going to speak to you on the subject, an unlikely missionary. Today we're going to examine a riveting story that displays the authority and power of Jesus Christ in a revealing way. In this story, Jesus saves and commissions the most unlikely missionary you could ever imagine. Let's dive right into the story, verse 1 of chapter 5. Mark chapter 5, verse 1. They came to the other side of the sea into the country of the Gerasenes. Now, if you remember in chapter 4, there's a marvelous story about Jesus gathering his disciples together and putting them in a boat and saying to those guys, guys, we're going to the other side. Now, what Jesus didn't tell them is that before they got there, in, in fact, while they were in the middle of the Sea of Galilee, they would be accosted by a vicious, fierce storm. And that storm was so fierce, and, and the, the waves piled up so high, and the wind was blowing so hard, that the little boat that Jesus and his disciples in was about to be swamped. And these guys were afraid for their lives, and Jesus was asleep in the stern of the boat. So having tried to bail out the boat and finding out the, for every bucket they bailed, two buckets came into the boat, they went to Jesus, they woke him up, and they wanted Jesus to help them. They said, Lord, do you not care that we're perishing? And Jesus says, where's your faith? Why can't you trust me? And Jesus commanded the waves and the wind to hush, be still. And a mega storm in just a moment of time became a mega calm. And in verse 1 of chapter 5, we see that Jesus kept his promise. He and his disciples came to the other side, to the country of the Gerasenes. In, in verse 2, the Bible says, when, we, when he got out of the boat, immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him. Now what a welcoming party this was. These disciples had been scared out of their gourds by a fierce storm. And, and they were even afraid of Jesus, the fear of Christ, because who is this? And even the winds and the waves obey him. And now they come on shore, and suddenly, without warning, they are accosted by a man with an unclean spirit. That simply means he was demon-possessed. Demons, as we shall see as we dig deeper into the story, we're controlling this man's mind, this man's emotions, this man's will, this man's, even his voice. Now let me interject something here. Satan and his demonic allies are real. 
We joke around about it, but I'm telling you, they are real. Satan and the demons of hell are fallen angels. They were created by God for God's glory. They rebelled against God. They were cast out of heaven, and they are immortal. They exist for one purpose, and that is to destroy people's lives, to steal their dreams, and to prevent them from believing in Jesus and the one true God and being saved and forgiven of their sin. The Bible warns us about them in several places. In 1 Peter 5, 8, the Bible says, Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. In Ephesians 6, 10 through 12, the Bible says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armor of God so that you'll be able to stand firm against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the world forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. In some places where idolatry is prevalent, the activity of the powers of darkness are very obvious. Why, if you were to go to Asia, if you were to go to Africa, if you were to go to Haiti and, and some other parts of the world, you could literally see people who are demon-possessed. And the demons present themselves openly in those countries where there is rampant idolatry. However, in places where the Bible has been preached and the gospel has been shared, they seem to take more of a cloak and dagger approach. They twist people's minds with false teaching and with godless ideologies. I believe that is exactly what we are seeing the fruit of right here in America today. Consider the explosion of violence, murder, rebellion, immorality, terrorism, child abuse, abortion, homosexuality, transgenderism, pagan spirituality, false teaching, deception, and anarchy. Have you ever wondered where's all this stuff coming from? Why is there such an explosion of this stuff in our day and time. I, I honestly believe this. I honestly believe that when Jesus came 2,000 years ago, there was a, a very severe uptick in demonic activity. And I truly believe that the reason we're seeing such an uptick in demonic activity and the fruit of demonic activity in our day is because Jesus is about to come again. Amen. I believe that with all my heart. Listen, the devil and his minions are real pros at masking themselves and disguising themselves. Paul wrote this in 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen. No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Satan is the ultimate deceiver. 
Therefore, I want to say something to every person within the sound of my voice. I want to say something to every mom and dad. I want to say something to every child in a family, regardless of your age. You better be on guard as you live out your life with this prevalence of demonic powers of darkness at work in our culture today. Look at verses 3 through 5. It's talking about this demon-possessed man. He had his dwelling among the tombs. And no one was able to bind him anymore, even with a chain. Because he had often been bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been torn apart by him, and the shackles broken in pieces, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. Constantly, night and day, he was screaming among the tombs and in the mountains and gashing himself with stones. What a graphic portrayal of a man suffering under under the destructive power of the prince of darkness. His hair was matted and nasty. His beard was a snarl of dried saliva and scraps of food. His eyes darted back and forth with a hellish evil. Blood oozed from self-inflicted wounds. The man was tormented by an evil force that left him deranged and destitute. Let's just consider this description of this man. He was obsessed with death. Just look at the movies and the music that Americans consider to be entertainment. Consider the Harry Potter Potter series focused on death. Consider the walking dead. Consider video games that glamorize death and mayhem and sexual deviancy. This man was obsessed with death. He was rebellious. No one could control this guy. No one. Why, he would snap any chain just like it was a piece of string. Our nation is rebellious to the core. One of the members of our House of Representatives, Representative Nadler, made this asinine statement I believe last week, he said that God's will is of no concern to this Congress. That's demonic. It's absolutely demonic. It's rebellion at its core. God help us. This man was not only obsessed with death and rebellion, but he was indecent. He had no clothes on. In America, the powers of darkness have removed all sense of modesty and restraint. Immorality and filthy language have become common in this nation, and everyone seems to accept it. Why, it's nothing for people to use God's name in vain on TV or in movies. There's no fear of God. I would suggest to you, that instead of canceling Mr. Potato Head's gender, instead of outlawing Dr. Seuss's six books, 
instead of, of canceling uh, the social media accounts of conservatives, maybe what we should do in America is cancel this filth and garbage that is flowing from one end of this nation to the other. This man was hopeless. Night and day, he screamed. He had no peace and no hope. Have you ever looked in people's eyes today? I mean, you look at people. People who have rejected God, rejected the Bible. There's no sense of hope. There's no sense of real peace in their hearts. This man was destructive. He cut himself with sharp stones. Do you realize how self-destructive we've become in America? How many teenagers damage themselves through cutting? How many adults are self-destructing through addictions of one kind or another? How many families are being blown up because of self-destructive behavior? Because of the anger of a husband, the abuse of a husband, or the immorality of a wife. Oh, my soul. This man was isolated. He was alone in the, to- in, in the tombs. No family, no friends with him whatsoever. And isolation seems to be the prevalent uh, desire of so many people in America today. And he was hostile He was capable of the most heinous acts of violence imaginable. The Bible says in another one of the Gospels that people from the town were scared to even come near this place because they were afraid of what this man would do to them. How do you explain all this? It can only be traced to demonic activity. How do we protect ourselves and our families? Well, we do what this demon-possessed man did. Now, we're going to get into that a little bit further as we dig deeper into the story. But first, I want you to look at verses 6 and 7. The Bible says, here's this demon-possessed man. Seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed down before him. And shouting with a loud voice, he said, What business do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God, do not torment me. And that was the voice of a demon speaking for the other demons inside this man. Did this man catch sight of the mega storm that instantly turned into a mega calm from his perch above the Sea of Galilee? I'm not sure. But there was something that drove this man from the heights of the tombs to the beach where Jesus and his disciples had landed in their boat. Notice the Bible says that this man bowed down before Jesus. That word bow is an interesting word in the Greek language. It literally means to worship, to worship. Now, I assure you, the demons inside this man were not worshiping Jesus. But I can tell you this, these demons were absolutely consumed by fear of Jesus. 
and they bowed in submission to Jesus. They recognized Jesus for who he was. And they knew that he had power and authority over them. One of the demons spoke through the man and said, Jesus, son of the most high God. It seemed like when Jesus encountered demon-possessed people and he called those demons out, those demons knew exactly who he was. And why shouldn't they? They were there when Jesus created them as angelic beings to serve the living and true God, to worship God. They were there. They knew Jesus. They knew him to be the son of God. They knew him to be the second person in the Trinity. These fiendish beings knew who he was, and they knew his power. In James 2.19, the Bible says, you believe that God is one, you do well. The demons also believe and tremble. Hey, don't think for a minute that the demons don't believe in God. There are no atheist demons. There are no agnostic demons. They know who he is. They know his sovereignty. They know his power. They know his authority. Jesus, Son of the Most High God. They believe and shudder. In 1 John 3, 8, the Bible says, the one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. Listen, to the Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. Don't think these demons didn't know what Jesus was ultimately going to do to them. In Revelation 20, verse 10, the Bible says, And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are also, and they will be, listen, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Demons know who Jesus is. And they know that one day Jesus will judge them. And he will cast them into the fiery pit of hell where they will be tormented and suffer for all of eternity. They know that. While their theology is far better than liberals, their theology is far better than the secularists that seem to be running America today. Their theology is better than atheists and agnostics. Dare I say it? Their theology is better than some people who call themselves Christians. Have you ever heard somebody who calls himself a Christian say, I don't believe in hell? I mean, tell you, the demons believe in hell. In Mark chapter 5, verses 8 through 10, the story continues. For he had been saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Jesus had been speaking to the man. And to the demon inside him, come out. And he was asking him, what is your name? Jesus said, I want to know what your name is. And the demon spoke. One of the demons spoke for the whole group of demons that had infested this man. My name is Legion, for we are many. He was not possessed by one demon. 
or by two demons, or by seven demons like Mary Magdalene. He was possessed by a host of demons. The, the idea of a legion, a legion in the, in the, in the Roman army was about 6,000 soldiers. Now, I'm not saying there were 6,000 demons inside this man, but I'm telling you there were multiple demons inside this man, and they were bent on destroying him. My name is Legion, for we are many. And he began to implore him earnestly not to send him out of the country. You got demons begging Jesus here. Please don't send us out of this country. They wanted to say, stay in the area of the Decapolis, in the area of Gerasa. They wanted to stay there with the pagan spirituality and the godlessness that was so prevalent there because they could use it for their own benefit. And I'll tell you, they were absolutely mortified at the thought that Jesus would cast them into the bottomless pit of hell before actual judgment day. They were pleading for a little bit more time to carry out their evil plans. Look at verse 11. Now there was a large herd of swine, for some of you who might need some help, that's hogs. There was a large herd of swine feeding nearby on the mountain. Now this, this one thing that helps us know, this was prevalently, prevalently uh, Gentile territory. The demons implored him, saying, Send us into the swine so that we may enter them. Jesus gave them permission. That's interesting, isn't it? Jesus gave them permission. And coming out, the unclean spirits entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea, about 2,000 of them, and they were drowned in the sea. This dramatic scene provided stunning proof that the evil spirits had left the man. And it demonstrated their damaging power on a massive scale. And more importantly, it demonstrated the extent of Jesus' authority and power over the powers of darkness. Later on in his ministry, Jesus would say this to a bunch of his sniping critics. In Luke eleven twenty. he said, But if I cast out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. With one flick of his finger... Jesus sends these perverted demons out of the tormented man and into a herd of swine, numbering about 2,000. Then for the first time in human history, we see a swine dive. And they dive off the cliff into the Sea of Galilee, and they drown. Everyone who witnessed this event 
was seeing the kingdom of God in action. Look at verse 14. Their herdsmen ran away and reported it in the city and in the country. And the people came to see what it was that had happened. They came to Jesus and observed the man who had been demon-possessed sitting down, clothed in his right man, right mind, the very man who had, had the legion, and they became frightened. Those who had seen it described to them how it had happened, had happened to the demon-possessed man and all about the swine, and they began to implore him to leave their region. It blows my mind. But they come to check out what had happened, and they find this man that no one could subdue, and now he was seated at the feet of Jesus. He is clothed, not naked. He is seated, not restless. He is with the living, not the dead. He is sane, not delusional. He is at peace, not tormented. And this drastic transformation that Jesus brought about in this man's life stunned them and provoked them to understand the power of God. The kingdom of God had come upon them. And they had never in their lives experienced anything like this before. Now you would think that they would put the Lord Jesus on their shoulders and they would march through the city. They would have a parade through the city telling how great Jesus is and the power of Jesus. And they would invite the sick and the decrepit to come to Jesus for healing. But no, you know what they did? We don't want you here. We don't want you here. Go away. I'm afraid that's what America has done to Jesus. I'm afraid America has said to the Lord Jesus, we don't want you. We don't want your moral law to serve as a standard for anything in our nation. We want to do what we want to do. And we have shaken our fist in the face of God. I know some of you may be thinking, Pastor, don't get so torqued about this. Everything's going to be okay. It's not going to be okay. I'm telling you, the living God will judge America. He's going to judge America. And if we do not repent, if we don't turn to God, we're going to go the way of the Roman Empire. We're going to go the way of the Greek Empire, the Persian Empire. Jesus, we don't want you here. Boy, I, I read that. It almost takes my breath. Look at verse 18. 
as he was getting into the boat, I tell you, you ask Jesus to leave, he's going to leave. You tell Jesus you don't want him in your nation, in your life, and he won't, he won't come. I probably, he, won't, he won't bust the door down. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed was imploring him that he might accompany him. Jesus, let me go with you. I love that, don't you? And he did not let him. Jesus didn't let him go. But he said to him, go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. And he went away. Look at that. And he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis. That's, that's the, the, the ten city confederacy on the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. Ten cities. And he began to proclaim in Decapolis, the ten cities, what great thing Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. The maniac became a missionary. Glory to God. Here was a man who had been delivered by the power of Jesus. And all he could think about was following Jesus. Have you been saved? Have you been delivered from the power of the evil one? Has your sins been forgiven? Have you received the righteousness of Jesus? Let me ask you, do you have the same desire this man had to follow Jesus? But Jesus told him to go back home and share what God had done for him with his family, his neighbors, and the people who lived in that Gentile region. Guess what? He did exactly what Jesus told him to do. I just wonder when we get to heaven... And we get to meeting people, and there's introductions going around in heaven. I wonder how many people we will meet who became followers of the Lord Jesus Christ because this man shared the gospel with them. Hey, I, I, I want to share maybe the overriding truth of this passage with you regardless of who you are. Jesus can change you, and he can use you for his glory. You say, me, pastor? Can Jesus really change me? Can re Jesus really use me for his glory like, this, like the way he used the, the demoniac? L let's think about four lessons that flow out of this story. Number one, if you want Jesus to change you and use you for his glory, and if you want to have a, an upper hand over the underworld, listen, number one, turn to Jesus. This man, hey, look, he didn't, he didn't go to church. He didn't go to confession. He didn't go to mass. He didn't go to a Bible study. You know what he did? 
He went to Jesus. You need to understand that a failure to trust in Jesus leaves you exposed to the diabolical attacks of the prince of darkness. Pastor, I'm I'm not demon-possessed. I'm not saying you are. But I'm saying if you've not believed in Jesus and received him as your Savior and your Lord, you are in the grip of the enemy. Prove it to me, Pastor. Okay, I will. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, the Bible says this of those who have never received Jesus as Lord and Savior, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins, in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. I tell you, you're either in the grip of Jesus or you're in the grip of the enemy. Whose grip do you want to be in? Jesus died for your sins on the cross. He was raised from the dead. He defeated the powers of darkness to provide salvation to you. Will you turn to Jesus in saving faith or will you tell him, Jesus, I don't want you in my life. I beg you today, whether you're watching live stream, television, or in the church today, I beg you, if you've never received Jesus, turn to Jesus in faith. Second lesson, believe the Word. Let let me tell you, if you want Jesus to change you and use you for His glory... If you want to have an upper hand over the underworld, my friend, you must believe the Word. Believe the Word. Every person needs a fixed point of reference in their lives. If you don't have a fixed point of reference, then you'll believe any garbage that comes down the trail. Hey, I'll tell you what I've done. I've determined. This is the Word of God. From Genesis to Revelation. You know, what, what, what kills me is there are a lot of young people and there are a lot of old people who have rejected the Word of God and they don't even know what it says. They don't know why they reject They just reject it because somebody told them they need to reject it. I'm telling you, this is the Word of God. This is a fixed point of reference for your life. If you want to know how to have a good marriage, turn to the Bible. If you want to know how to live in victory over sin, turn to the Bible. If you want to know how to be prepared for death, turn to the Bible. If you want to know how to have your sins forgiven, turn to the Bible. Believe the Bible. It must be your final source for faith and practice. Number three, I got to hurry. Live with confidence. You say, Pastor, with all of this demonic activity going on in America, I feel overwhelmed. You shouldn't feel, if you're a believer, you should never feel overwhelmed. Ever. Ever. Hey, look, I went to Cameroon, 
and I preached with Mr. Jim, and I preached a series of evangelistic rallies there in a village in Cameroon. And, and I'm telling you, there were, there, were, there were a few thousand people who, who walked up there, and they stood for three hours. There were no seats. They stood for three hours with worship choirs, and then I, I preached for about 45 minutes to an hour. And there were witch doctors in that crowd. The powers of darkness were prevalent. I can tell you this. I didn't have one shred of fear. Not one. Because greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. I want to tell you, dear friend, if you're a born-again believer, you do not have to be afraid of the powers of darkness. There will never be a moment in your life as a believer where a demon can ever possess you. They can oppress you, but they can never possess you. In 1 Corinthians 15, 57, Paul wrote, But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Man, I want to win. I hate to lose. And I'm telling you, friend, if you put your faith in Jesus, you are going to be a winner. In 2 Corinthians 2.14, listen to this. But thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him in every place. Who all, look, look at this. Who always leads us in triumph in Christ. You don't have to live in fear of Satan and the powers of darkness. Jesus has provided his power. He has given you his authority. And he has given you his victory. And you can now live in a whole new way. You can know that you know that you know that Jesus can change you. And he can use you for his glory. Fourth and final lesson. Share the gospel. It's the only hope for, for the world. It's the only hope for Carnival. It's the only hope for America. It's the only hope for your lost family members. It's the only hope for your lost neighbors. Share the gospel. If this man can go from being a maniac to a missionary, there's not a single person within the sound of my voice that can raise up some kind of excuse and say, well, I can't do that. I'm telling you, you can. You can. The Bible said you will receive power when the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Hey, let, let me ask you this. Will you commit today to sharing the gospel with your family, with your friends, with your neighbors, with your co-workers, with your fellow students? Will you commit to sharing the gospel? You boil this story right down to the core. I love how it ended, don't you? I love good endings. And here's a guy that nobody would, let me tell you, the IMB, the International Mission Board, wouldn't have given this guy a second look. The North American Mission Board wouldn't give this guy a second look. But I'm telling you, Jesus saw something in him that nobody else saw. 
And I'm telling you, Jesus sees something in you that nobody else sees. He sees that he can change you. He can deliver you from drugs. He can deliver you from homosexuality. He can deliver you from transgenderism. He can deliver you from any kind of addiction, pornography, or whatever. He can deliver you. He can change you. And he can use you for his glory. Hey, would you bow your heads with me? Heavenly Father, this story is so powerful. And I'm so thankful, Holy Spirit, that you led Mark to include this story in his gospel. And Lord, I pray with all of my heart, through the Holy Spirit's power, that today somebody within the sound of my voice would turn to Jesus in saving faith. That today somebody within the sound of my voice would believe the word. That somebody within the sound of my voice would choose to live with confidence. And that somebody within the sound of my voice would commit today that for the rest of their lives they will share the gospel with people who desperately need to hear it. Lord, glorify yourself in this moment. In Jesus' name, amen. Now listen, unless you guys come, or staff's coming, I want to invite you to respond to this. Hey, hey this is the Word of God. We see how the people of Gerasah responded to Jesus. How will you respond Maybe you want to come to this altar and you want to pray for a lost family member, a lost neighbor, a lost friend, a lost fellow student that's on your heart. You come and pray for them. Ask God to give you a chance to share the gospel with them. Pray for their salvation. Or maybe you want to come today and say, hey, pastor, I need to receive Jesus as my personal Savior and Lord. Come to one of our staff. Or maybe you just want to bow the knee here to Jesus. Submit your life to Him. And say, Lord, whatever you've got for me, I'll do it. If you want me me to be a missionary, I'll be a missionary. If you want me to just share the gospel locally, I'll do it. Lord, have your way in my heart. Let's stand, let's sing. You come as God leads you.